Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro Worldwide Edition, our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was November 4th to November 11th, 1996. I'm your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. I'm excited for some fun gunplay on Raw. <laughs> this is the second edition of our new format bonus episodes, which we uh, now follow up our Nitro reviews with, getting into everything else uh, that happened in the world of wrestling uh, in the week leading up to next episode of Nitro. Uh -huh. So if you haven't heard la our last episode, episode 60, in which we reviewed the November 4th, 1996 episode of Monday Nitro, you're going to probably want to do that first because everything we're talking about here was the other stuff in wrestling other than that Nitro. Mm -hmm. Now, before we move on to all that other stuff, uh, that wonderful autumn week, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. And you can always email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. Now, the first thing we're going to do this week is uh, change the channel over to USA, which means that it's time for our raw recap. And uh, in our first worldwide edition episode, I asked the composer, er, well, I should say I asked anyone to compose for us a raw recap theme song. And the composer of our Worldwide Edition theme song, Eastman Presser, uh, he, he just tossed off a free Raw theme song for us. Just uh, doing pro bono work for us now. Doing us a solid. Yeah, and uh, I love this one as well. Uh, so here is our the debut of our Raw recap theme. In the Raw results, I'm going to run through, so this is not going to be necessarily in chronological order if you watch the episode, but I'm going to get the matches out of the way first. Goldust fought the Stalker, uh, Barry Windham, mm -hmm. to a double disqualification. Uh, both their Survivor Series teams showed up and everybody fought each other. The Sultan defeated Alex the Pug Parto. Wow. And uh, Fake Razor Ramon defeated Mark Marrow after uh, Triple H interfered, costing Marrow the match. Sounds like another captivating Raw. <laughs> now, uh, it was actually a captivating Raw uh, because in between those, we actually started off the show with Kevin Kelly, who was at Brian Pillman's house, uh, which his actual house, which is in Kentucky, uh, but actually just based on where it is, it's actually suburban Cincinnati. I didn't uh, I don't know enough about where Cincinnati is, mm. uh, but in in looking this up, apparently you can be in suburban Cincinnati and actually be in the state of Kentucky. Uh, so that's where Pillman was living. 
Uh, Kevin Kelly's there. They're going to interview Brian Pillman, but they have heard that Steve Austin has announced that he's planning to come to the house. Pillman, who is a, a crazed wild man who has just had ankle surgery the week before, mm-hmm. uh, he has sent his children from the home. The children are not there because this insane Stone Cold is on his way there. Uh, but he's still there with his wife, Melanie, and he's holding a gun. We see that early on. Uh, so the kind of early tease in the episode is Austin's on his way to Pillman's house. Pillman has a gun. Very soon, uh, we see Austin shows up at the house. Uh, and probably the worst part of this whole angle he fights Brian Pillman's quote-unquote friends in the front yard who are just uh, wrestling trainees. Yeah. So, like, it's an obvious kind of work. <laughs> like, the fighting looks really fake. It's it's the one kind of part of the angle that's not really well produced, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of the punches and stuff are that thing in wrestling where guys are fighting by, like, giving each other clubbing blows in the back. Yeah. And it's just like, well, no one that really would be in a fight would do that. Uh, in one, one moment that was uh, a little more of a shoot... Austin throws a guy into Pillman's garage door, and uh, I found a shoot interview with Austin talking about the this angle on his podcast, and he he actually bent the uh, like uh, track for the garage door opener so bad that it Whoops. had to be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then uh, later on, so now we know Pillman's in there. We know he's got a gun. We know Austin's outside fighting. We come back later. Austin has a baseball bat. He breaks through a glass uh, part of the door, reaches in, lets himself in. Pillman is pointing the gun. The satellite feed conveniently cuts out right at that moment. Wow. Pillman, Pillman, once again, if you're watching, send somebody outside and tell... No, you don't send anybody outside. You got a reason with with Steve Austin somehow. Steve Austin cannot go in that house with a gun in there. Sure, the authorities have been called. And again, ladies and gentlemen, standing by Kevin Kelly. Let's take you back now to the home of Brian Pillman. Kevin, oh, come on. Vince, all right, we heard Stone Cold Steve Austin outside. He's been making his way around all the way to the back of the house, screaming and yelling, Pillman's got this pistol out, and I don't know what the hell is going on here. This is ridiculous. Pillman's got this, um, what the, what the hell is that? Did somebody call the police? That's Austin! Get out of there! Steve, don't go in there! Don't go in there! We've lost our satellite feed. This is exactly all we have. We have we have no idea what's going on in, in Brian Pillman's house. We have we have no idea. This is all we have. This is what we've had for the last three minutes. And Jim Ross in the ring has no idea what's going on has no idea what's going on live out in Cincinnati. And as soon as we have any word whatsoever, we will interrupt this and take you back to Cincinnati. Uh, that's So that's all we've got. Later in the show, uh, WWF director Kerwin Silfies calls into the show. He's on location in suburban Cincinnati. And he says that he heard two sounds. They may have been gunshots. He's not sure. Uh, no one has called the police, even though they're all... According to him, terrified, they're staying in the production truck. That's why the satellite feed mm-hmm. has not been restored. They're too scared. Uh, but again, he has a phone on him, clearly, but yeah. he's not calling 911. No, he calls Vince on Raw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then later on, um, we see, uh, we go back there live. Pillman's there. They don't know where Austin is. Maybe he's been shot. But no, he shows up again. He hasn't been shot. He tries to get at Pillman. 
they like manage to kind of get Pillman away and keep the two separated and that's sort of where it ends. So the episode ends. Uh, we know that no one's been shot, but they sort of kept us through the episode. They sort of dug in right at the beginning and this uh, the episode started at 757. So three minutes early, which we talked about in our last worldwide episode. Yeah, uh, they started a little bit early. Uh, Nitro did not. Nitro started at eight o'clock. So if you were kind of flipping back and forth between these, you would tune in raw, see that Pillman's waiting at his house for Austin with a gun. Uh-huh. And then I could see it keeping some people around to kind of see if someone's going to get fucking shot. Yeah. <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. Uh, so here's kind of. I thought the angle was really well done. Um, the fighting outside hasn't aged particularly well. Uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because even by this point, Raw was airing with, I don't re- you know exactly what it says, but it was airing with some kind of warning at the beginning that it's not necessarily for kids. So I think, because I think you could criticize them as being a park, uh, product marketed at children and doing this. But I think mm-hmm. by this point, it's kind of been long enough that I would say that it's not exclusively marketed to like young children. And it's, you know, it's starting at 8 p.m. or whatever on a Monday night. Kids are, kids are, shouldn't be, hey, they shouldn't be watching TV. They should be doing their schoolwork. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I sure. mean, just, I mean, based on the kind of, acts that they have in the ring still yeah that's yeah, that's true i i mean i think that i think they're right now like testing out the waters as far as like becoming more mature but overall their product is still really tame yeah yeah that's probably a good point um so did you do you how, how about the execution did you find it like well produced do you think it's a compelling angle um i mean i'd I don't care for the angle in general. I mean, especially since I, I think it's pretty, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. I mean, either no one gets shot right. or they try to play an angle, in which Steve Austin has been shot. Yeah. Uh, but still is going to make his survivor series appearance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the problem is, uh, I think it's well produced. I think it's compelling television. I think the problem is that, you that guns don't belong in pro wrestling because like like you said there's nowhere to really escalate that someone either gets doesn't get shot Mm -hmm. that's the best case or they do and then you have to sort of explain how people are now getting shot and still participating in an athletic contest where they're fighting each other right there's really nowhere to go from there yeah um so i i agree that like guns are they're overpowered in the world of wrestling. They just you you can't en- enter them into the storytelling mm. because once you do, it's very odd. In every situation where a guy doesn't like, if this guy brings a gun down to the ring and points it at Vince McMahon and gets what he wants, yeah, then like every time the next time a guy is so mad at Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. well, why didn't he just bring a gun? Because it worked for the last guy, right? It's just it's a self defeating way for the for the storytelling to go, yeah. and I. And I think I think Brian Pillman did a really good job as far as making it believable. Sure. Um, I, it's still it's it just strikes me as like a very odd because like Steve Austin is very much his Steve Austin character. Yeah. Um, and and also from what I remember watching it at the time, or last time I watched it, it's like Kevin. Ke- it would have been better if Kevin Kelly wasn't there. Mm. Because I just don't find 
I found like just him being there in general and talking yeah. pulled me out of like the seriousness of it. Oh, okay. Sure. Because there's a, there's a WWF like commentator with a microphone. Yeah. You know, I mean, might as well just had Gene Okerlund in there while you're at it. As far as like, <laughs> it just t- kind of t- takes out the element. And also I would have loved to see Gene's reactions in the moment to Brian Pillman with like waving a gun around. Right. And also there's just, it, it just, all practicalities about it just don't make any sense. Like why no one would have called the police. Why yeah. like, or like the, uh, and yeah, actually it's the end of the episode when they are, Austin comes back in the house mm-hmm. and they're separating him. Kevin Kelly starts yelling, call the police. And it's like, well, so you know, the police exist, right? <laughs> why didn't you do that a long time ago? And, and I, I would say even like in the kayfabe version of it. Yeah. WWF makes themselves come off as capitalizing on a very serious situation. Sure. Because their insistence on trying to film it, having Kevin Kelly like in the house. Right. Being, being like, uh, so you, you might murder someone. How do you feel about that? You know, um, and having the producers like calling into raw rather than like getting any sort of assistance or trying to deescalate the situation. Right. It's just, it's a, it, I mean, it's still to this day is like very gross to me. Like it's, 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 it's just sensationalism for the trying to get ratings sure. for, for a show that's desperate, desperate that's accurate, yeah. for ratings. And this is, this just reeks of absolute desperation. Um, I mean, it, it looks like a very good fo- footnote in yeah. history for them, especially when the comes to the attitude error and being like, well, you know, that attitude error, you can date it back to even further here because of the, yeah. the Pillman gun situation. But everything about it just reeks of desperation. And, and I, that's saying that even before I remember that they had the three minute head start yeah. and they started with Pillman right away. Right. You know, it's like, it's like it, the microcosm. It's like, what won't Vince do sure. for ratings? Like yeah. he will pretend to murder Steve Austin. Yeah. If that would get you to watch his goddamn show. That's interesting word choice because, uh, Dave Meltzer said, uh, this is a quote from the observer that week. He said that, that uh, this was either a groundbreaking angle in wrestling or an act of total desperation. And, and his sort of, his attitude was that it like the market will decide essentially that, you mm-hmm. know, how it affects the ratings going forward or the business. He personally, it seemed like he didn't have a problem with it. Although he says his sort of tact is if people were offended, then to them it is an offensive storyline. Yeah, like they, you are the decider of what to you is offensive. It's not like an objective thing. This was offensive or it wasn't. He was yeah. like, uh, so he he just kind of presents it more on a factual basis, saying that the the reaction that he's got from his readers. Now, keep in mind, his readers are going to be, even though wrestling is a somewhat older and a mostly male audience. I think his readers skew probably even older and even more male than that audience typically. Oh, sure. So he says his readers mostly gave around 75% positive reactions. Okay. Uh, so that's that's just kind of interesting. And some were saying that it was the most compelling hour of wrestling television ever. But he also notes that there are some that were so offended that they are calling for the USA uh, Network to cancel Raw entirely. Well, that's an overreaction. <laughs> sure. <laughs> even, if you, even, even if you didn't care for it, 
not canceling the show. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, within a few days, USA Network will actually apologize for the angle mm-hmm. and try to distance themselves and claim that they didn't know about it ahead of time, even though they did know about it ahead of time. Right. <laughs> uh, WWF will also apologize at first for the language that was used by Pillman and Austin as they're calling each other son of a bitch all over this thing. Yeah. Uh, it's live TV. It wasn't scripted. They just kind of, you know, got in the heat of the moment or whatever. Mm hmm. Uh, but they at first did not apologize for the angle itself. However, on the Saturday, November 9th episode of WWF Livewire, this is when they were still doing like the kind of live call-in, real behind-the-scenes-y kind of approach for Livewire Yeah. Uh, before they turned it into just like a recap show. Uh, Vince McMahon appeared on the show and finally did apologize for the angle and took all the heat on himself, saying that it was the WWF's fault, not the USA's network, not the USA Network's, and that as the head of the company, he was ultimately personally responsible, mm-hmm. um, which is to a degree true, but also seems like something he's doing is a favor to the USA Network. Yeah. Like, hey, we're not going to cancel you guys or anything. Will you just please get the heat off us and just say this was yeah. 100% your fault? Yeah. So he said they didn't know about it, even though, again, they did, mm-hmm. and just put it all on himself as, as a just a kind of a favor. And, and probably for Vince, it's like, well, as long as I do the apology, but it doesn't have to be on Raw, right? That's a win. Because yeah, and all there, there's gonna be people watching Raw the next week that don't hear the apology. Yes, exactly. Uh, Pillman and Austin both called into the show, um, kind of semi like Austin. From what I understand, I didn't get to see this. It's not available on the internet, but yeah, Austin was more or less in character, and he didn't like say he was sorry or anything. Pillman was like semi in character and more as the baby face. He apologized for the language that he used in the heat of the moment. But uh-huh. it's not like he said, like, this was a fake thing we did and I feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, they kind of try to frame it. Uh, Kevin Kelly's on the show and he tries to frame it as a publicity stunt that Austin did just to, like, get attention mm. um, and just sort of t- try to tone down the fact that, like, the way they presented it was that a breaking and entering occurred yeah. and a guy almost got shot. Um, but I think the noticeable thing that Meltzer kind of gets at that's really uh, – it's it's good analysis by him. And so th- I'm just going to quote him directly. So this is from The Observer. Quote, of course, all that controversy gave the angle something a life of its own. Remember the cardinal rule. Anything that takes place on a television wrestling show is a work generally format, generally formulated and sometimes not planned in advance but designed to advance storylines. If anyone was really sorry about the angle, whether it be USA or the WWF, whether it be USA or the WWF, do you think the angle would have been hyped to death all weekend after? Oh, would have been hyped to death all weekend after and shown on every WWF program over the weekend. Right. So your superstars and all that. So they yeah. showed the angle on all of those, although they bleeped the language. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after the angle had aired on every WWF television show all weekend long that Jim Ross on Superstars sanctimoniously said how the footage would never appear on WWF television again. Right. So they spent all weekend like hyping it up as this huge thing. Then they made a big apology and stuff out of it, which sort of fanned the controversy in yep. a way that helped them. Yes. So yep. even their apology and everything was actually just like any news is good news. Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Mm hmm. Ex- yeah. And that that. I, it's not a stretch to say that that's something that Vince McMahon has uh, followed as a mantra for decades. Right. Yeah. 
So that's I, I thought that was like an astute observation by him that sure they apologized, but the way in which they did it mm-hmm. was absolutely a work that was intended to get the attention on what it was they were apologizing for. Yes. In our ratings roundup, uh, Raw with uh, that angle and a new time slot. So this is that was the first week that they were coming in starting at that time. Mm-hmm. Raw did a 2.3 and Nitro did a 3.4 with a 2.9 first hour. So that's the head to head hour now. Yeah. And a 3.8 second hour. So if we can uh, break that down a little bit at the time the gun was drawn, WCW was up 3.0 to 2.0. But by the third quarter hour, uh, the third quarter of the first hour, both shows were at a 2.8. So WWF, in a huge thing, like this has not happened in a while, mm-hmm. they were running dead even. So there was interest in this angle that did uh, bring them up to the same level, at least for a little bit. But by the final quarter hour, after WWF had spent all night teasing that we would learn if Austin had been shot or not, WCW was back up to a 3.5 and Raw down to a 2.5. Mm-hmm. So it was like people waited to see what was going to happen with the gun, and then when they did the hokey satellite cutting out thing, yeah. it seemed like people were like, "Ah, fuck this! They're not really even going to like pay this off or whatever." Yeah, there, yeah, and really there was not going to be any sort of explanation that would have been like, "Oh, that well, that was worth it then." So the angle worked for a while, but Dave notes it didn't actually work as well as Brett's interview had a few weeks ago, where I think briefly WCW was or WWF was beating. Mm-hmm. nitro for just a little bit uh they didn't beat him for the week or anything but they they actually came a lot uh closer thanks to that bread interview in the last 15 minutes of raw 125,000 kids uh children demographic turned off raw and at that same time nitro gained 124,000 kids so huh. <laughs> funny how that works hmm. uh so this is actually the first time that nitro beat raw in the kids demographic so there is uh, some danger to what Raw is doing because they have courted a kid's demographic. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like uh, 125 kid uh, moms saw their kids watching this and said, you can't watch this anymore. And they're like, well, I'll just watch the other wrestling then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody, and, and since, like I said, WWF is still like, uh, like a, a relatively family-friendly show. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they see that being worth the risk. Yes. Uh, so that that's everything with Raw. That's uh, how they perform. That's the ratings. And that brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe This, brother! All right. So uh, to start off in the Observer, I thought this was something that was worth going into. Dave first compares the WWF and WCW uh, for the month of I think he's looking at the month of September uh, to one year ago. So he's comparing both companies. So for WCW. Uh, the estimated average attendance is up from 2,100, um, I'm rounding here, but from about 2,100 to about 3,500. So that is a 61.5% increase mm-hmm. in house show attendance. The average gate is up from, or I shouldn't say house show because I think this includes television taping, so just all attendance. Yep. The average gate is up from 18,750 to 40,403. 
That is a 115.5% increase. Dang. The average cable rating is up from a 1.9 to a 2.3, so that includes all the syndicated shows. Uh, so that is up 21.1%. And if you want to uh, look at the pay-per-views, Fall Brawl 95 had 6,600 fans in attendance, uh, 5,000 of whom paid for a gate of $72,000. It got a 0.48 buy rate and $1.2 million in pay-per-view revenue. In Fall Brawl 96, had 11,300 fans, so that's an increase of almost 5,000 fans. Uh, it had 10,700 of whom paid, so that's twice as many paid fans. The total gate was 153,914, so that's, again, that's about twice as much of a gate. Mm-hmm. A 0.65 buy rate, so that's a significantly improved buy rate, and uh, about 0.4 million extra dollars in pay-per-view revenue. So it's just a good way of showing how from September 95 to September 96, uh, business has really picked up for WCW. Every every single one of those things is trending in the right direction for this company. Yeah, and that's like, and that's the exact full, full first year of Money Nitro. Yep, exactly. And and yeah, so it's easy to see how WCW would look at Eric Bischoff as being a goddamn genius. Right. <laughs> yeah, this guy who was like their C-string announcer who talked his way into the job based on like a little bit of previous corporate experience. Yeah. Uh, it was like a, a real legitimate risk for them to give the job to Bischoff. And right now, at least, everyone uh, from them for giving him the opportunity and him for running with it, everyone is looking very smart Yeah. Uh, for that choice of, of making Eric Bischoff executive vice president. Mm-hmm. The WWF, uh, in uh, their numbers, they are. I'm not going to go through them specifically, but they are up in attendance and gate. They are down in ratings, uh, mostly because the syndicated shows no longer exist. Uh, their September pay-per-view was down from last year's, and uh, he also throws in what's going on in Japan. All Japan wrestling is down in just about everything, yeah. as is New Japan. So both of those companies are suffering at the moment. Yeah, I seem I seem to remember that I think Japanese wrestling in general aren't they have going to go through some lean years here? Yeah, I think it it a lot of it comes up later, um, but they start having a lot of problems where the people in charge, especially uh, Antonio Inoki, get really enamored with mixed martial arts. Yeah, and they start yeah. being obsessed with the idea that they can only push guys who can win shoot fights. Mm-hmm. And then so like you'll have a guy and you're pushing him really heavily and then he happens to lose one of the shoot fights you put him in yeah. and then you punish him by just jobbing him out for like you you just undermined all his credibility. Yeah. Um, and it's just Jap- Japan gets really into the MMA thing and there's like it's always very unclear which promotions are shoots and which are real. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're mixing both even on the same card. Yeah, and, I know, like, uh, uh, it does wrestling no favors. Yeah, like Pancras yes. is around at this time, and they, yep. like, they're, yeah, like, they're, like their match-to-match could d- be different yeah, as exactly. far as if it's legit or not. So, yeah, they're going, yeah, they're going through a really, really weird phase here that, that it, it's just, it's hard to kind of, like, um, kind of, like, put together as far as, like, a story because American wrestling just doesn't. Right. You know, yeah, that was never other like the closest they got was having Butterbean beat the shit out of Bart Gunn on WrestleMania. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I mean, 
they eventually have WWF eventually has Ken Shamrock. Sure. But they just kind of use that as being like, well, he's he's legitimately he's a tough guy. Yeah. And they don't I mean, they don't really go like too far into that as far as like changing the way his matches are or anything. Eventually, once WWE at least acknowledges when mixed martial arts, because they they take decades pretty much. Yeah. Before they acknowledge it. And they they pretty much see it as like a bonus for enhancing the character. Right. And not getting obsessed with the wins or losses. Yeah. Where it's like. Japan, I th- Japan. It could have been a whole different story if they embraced MMA and did not get obsessed with the wins and losses. Sure, and instead, yeah, yeah. And instead, just been like that is just part of telling the story of the character and not having like mixed martial arts on the program as well. I don't and, know. I, and we should put out there that I am not a big expert on Japan, and so while I know that that is a thing, I don't know that that was starting by like I know that the like you said, Pancreas and that stuff had started up. Yeah. But, like, I know that the Noki being obsessed with MMA stuff, like, that was lasting well past 96 because I, th- I believe that um, Shibata was, like, buried for a while because of having, like, a couple bad shoot fights. Like, so, oh, sure. I mean, that's a guy who just retired, what, a year, year and a half ago after that uh, awful injury within the match with Akata? Yeah. So, like, that's, uh, I don't know that that was a problem that was going on for those full 20 years, but uh, mm-hmm. I think that could have been an issue that was causing um, sort of the the sagging decline that, that those companies will go through. I mean, yeah. all Japan, well, I think they're still around, but they, they stopped being, like, they were they were New Japan's WC. Those were two companies that were, like, neck and neck, and nowadays there's really one major company in Japan and then a bunch of smaller ones, even if they bear the name of some of the, the old greats. It was late in the week this week of 1996 that Eric Bischoff met with Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, about coming into WCW. They agreed on a deal which will have Henning return to wrestling full-time, and we're going to talk a lot more about that, why he hasn't been wrestling full-time, mm-hmm. what's going on with the WWF. Uh, we're going to talk about that a lot more when he makes his WCW debut. Uh, his debut, the WWF was assuming that because this happened, that WCW was planning on having him walk out in a surprise appearance on Nitro uh, next week. Uh, but he is under contract to WWF, and WCW is taking no chances right now because they do have that open lawsuit yeah. uh, over the some of the stuff that happened with Hall and Nash. So even though he has agreed to work with WCW once his he's contractually able to do so, no one is in any rush to step on the WWF's toes legally. Uh, so that is right now just an agreement that he will be coming in, mm-hmm. but that's all it is at this point. Uh, it's interesting, too, because... Uh, one of the things I noticed on Raw is that they in, they're advertising Mr. Perfect for Livewire uh, on Saturday. He does not show up for that event, and he is not on commentary on Superstars on Sunday, which he normally does with McMahon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are very quickly acting to work around him leaving the company. Yeah, what which I I mean, in retrospect, after all these years, I feel is very unfortunate because I think. I just felt like there's a, a much higher potential for Mr. Perfect being in WWF at that time. I agree. I agree. Um, I was, and I'm a huge fan. Even, uh, even his 2002 return, I just felt like that could have been something. It's yeah. too bad the whole plane ride from hell thing happened. And yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, I think he's a great wrestler, a great talent, no matter where he is. Yeah, there's just a little bit, a little extra something when he's in WWF. Yeah, I just. It's as simple as Mr. Perfect sounds awesome. Kurt Henning sounds like a guy. Yeah. 
like that makes a huge difference right there, you know? Yeah. And there, and there's just a ton at that time. There was a lot of wrestlers that were like around his style yeah. and guys that he had history with. Yeah. You know, like being able to come back and, and face like Bret Hart again or to wrestle Steve Austin. Yeah. Hillman, um, like Shawn Michaels. There's, there were just, I felt like there was a lot more opportunity or potential opportunity for him in WWF than WCW. Yeah. But I, again, it's, you know, money talks and, and I'm sure he was offered more to go to WCW than he was in WWF. And I mean, what he was doing at the time in WWF was not entirely inspiring either. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and again, like I said, we'll talk about it more when he makes his debut, but from what I understand, he was collecting on a Lloyd's of London insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, for an injury and something that W something that he felt WWF did something happened. He blamed WWF, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it was caused him to lose that the payouts from that policy. Oh, like Lloyd's of London thought he was getting too physical in the ring or, you know, in some of the angles or something like that. Sure. He blamed the WWF. Uh, so he kind of fucks them over and starts no showing stuff when he makes this agreement because he's mad at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they probably are offering him more money, but he's also just doing it as a fuck you to Vince because he's mad. Okay. So that is that is an aspect that's at play here. And it probably didn't help that the Ultimate Warrior just did the same thing too. <laughs> you yeah. probably saw the example of like, oh, I, I see. If you don't like it, just don't show up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dave has heard that the January WCW pay-per-view in Cedar Rapids, Iowa is going to be an NWO pay-per-view. <laughs> I believe he's correct in that. Uh, sold out is, that's January 97, right? Yeah. So we're, we're headed towards that. Uh, I just... <laughs> When I think of that pay-per-view, I just think of the quote that um, that Kevin Nash had as far as when they asked him about, like, the pay-per-view of it not exactly um, being executed very well for yeah. an NWO pay-per-view. And he's like, well, if you're someone that – if you're, like, a group that's cool like the NWO, why would you have your pay-per-view in Cedar Rapids? <laughs> oh, bird. <laughs> Which is, like <laughs> – he yeah. he's like they would do like a Vegas sort of thing. Sure, and yeah, I, I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. But it just when you talk, so it's just to hear about the pay per view. Like from the beginning, it's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, even here, uh, months before it, Meltzer says he's just not sure how they're going to be able to pull off sustaining the NWO doing a pay per view for a full three hour show. Yeah. Uh, and we will talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, back at the time, because I know that we, my brother and I um, ordered that Rumble, the Royal Rumble 97. Um, yeah. I was, that's the sort of thing where, like, we could only order, like, one or two in the Is year. Is 97 the one that has a lot of weird entrance from, like, different global promotions? Um, or am I thinking specific- of like 96? There's one year where there's just like a bunch of people where you're like, what? Really? Well, that that was, it was, the, that was in San Antonio and they had a lot of, uh, Mexican wrestlers. Maybe that's Specifically Mexican, okay. like, uh, Mil Mascaris and, sure. and, and that, and those sort of people. But that, w- I would just think at the time, I just, I'm like, why didn't I, why was I not interested in the first ever NWO pay-per-view? I wonder if that seemed like a bad idea even to me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes even as a, uh, you know, uh, it just doesn't, f- for whatever reason, it doesn't feel 
like a th- right to you. You know what I mean? Even if you can't put your finger on it, you're just like, I'm not excited for that. I don't yeah. know. Why. What, what was like, I, I never watched like the NWO parts of Saturday night or anything yeah. like that. So maybe it just was like, it's interesting, but not like $20 interesting. Down in Mexico, Antonio Pena has come out swinging, giving several interviews on Mexican radio and television where he has brought up Conan's past legal problems, which include two deportations from Mexico. Uh, you may remember that Conan was born in Cuba, so he is not a native Mexican, so oh, he can yeah. be deported from there yeah. uh, if he gets any legal problems. Uh, in addition to the deportations, he's had a few lawsuits filed against him uh, and a few other just sordid details that Pena wants to air publicly now. Mm-hmm. He basically portrayed Conan as a foreigner who came to Mexico and made fame and fortune beating up Mexicans, uh, which may be true, I don't know, but it is definitely worth noting that if true, Pena had no problem with any of those things when he left CMLL with Conan to found AAA. (laughs) Touche. Pena profited (laughs) off Conan for years and suddenly has a problem with Conan now that Conan has left him. Mm Mm-hmm. Conan did some interviews of his own saying that Pena dropped the ball and not getting the WCW connection and that Pena had Conan do AAA's dirty work like firing the wrestlers that Pena didn't like. More salaciously, Conan accused AAA of collecting union dues from the wrestlers without actually doing any union type work for them. Right. uh, Which is why you usually don't let management collect union dues. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he also said that Pena is an alcoholic, that Pena pushes wrestlers who are willing to have relationships with him, mm. and that Pena had sent people to attack him, uh, meaning Conan. He had, uh, He's saying that Pena has sent thugs to attack him on several occasions, mm. and also implied that Pena had sent men to attack Psychosis as well. Uh, I'll follow up on that in just a minute. Conan also spray-painted the Triple Eight heavy... Conan also spray-painted the AAA heavyweight uh, title, the Mexican Championship, as WCW has been calling it, Yeah, uh, and threw it in the garbage. Oh. He also accused Pena of pocketing some of the money from WCW that was intended for the wrestlers, despite skipping all the meetings that he was supposed to attend for uh, with the WCW contingent. Lastly, Conan claims that the contractors... this I like this detail, because I don't know about law, but this sounds like bullshit to me. Conan claims that all the contracts that his group of defectors have with AAA are void because AAA changed their corporate name and didn't have the talent sign new contracts. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's like a thing that no. really matters no. at all. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I'm no expert in Mexican law. I, I guess I should uh, admit that. AAA responded by having Paraguayo, one of their uh, top heels, do a radio interview where he accused Conan of being a coward who has beat up fans in the past. Uh, so so that's what's going on in Mexico. I did want to follow up uh, on that incident with psychosis I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So psychosis one day got a call in his hotel room from one of Ray Mysterio Sr.'s assistants saying that Halloween and Damien wanted to meet with psychosis. So he gets in the car and they just go to like a deserted part of Tijuana. Huh. And Halloween and Damien are nowhere to be found. Uh-oh. And just fearing what could possibly happen, Psychosis just punched the guy and ran off. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows if Pena really was behind it or if it really was necessarily anything. Um, I don't... I'll, I'll keep an eye on if Dave ever follows up on it. Uh, but I just thought that was a funny story. I just like the idea of them turning down the wrong alley and psychosis just punching a guy in the face and running out of a car. Yeah. 
I because I also picture him in full mask with the big crazy oh, wig for and everything. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. One hundred percent. Yeah. Pena tried to meet with Damien to get him to stick with AAA, but Damien stayed loyal to Conan. Uh, that's about all my Mexican notes. It's it's amazing the the staying power that Conan has had yeah. down in that area because here we are in 2019 and like the biggest new thing is all elite wrestling and Conan's right in the middle of their association with triple a. Oh, sure. You know, it's just, he, he's like, it's like, it's him and Jeff Jarrett. Smart politicians. No matter, no matter what, no matter what, (laughs) how, what terrible opinions people get of them, they still hang around and are still important. WWF star Sonny was on an episode of MTV's Singled Out. She's a 23-year-old TV broadcaster for the World Wrestling Federation, and she's managed three sets of tag team champions. She's also one of the most downloaded pictures on America Online. Say hello to Sonny. Sonny, welcome to uh, Singled Out. Thanks, Chris. I have a present for you. I heard you're underpaid here, so... I'm going to touch your wardrobe up a little bit. What do you think? Oh, my God. Man, look at this. It's Sonny. Oh, Sonny. You remember Singled Out? <laughs> yeah. She was like the single person, mm-hmm. uh, which I imagine Chris Candido loved. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wait a second. Uh, I didn't watch it, but I did check. And you can find the entire episode on YouTube if that's something that you'd like to see. Yeah, Is it... Um did it kind of play like the dating game? Yeah, there was like, uh, so someone, uh, there's like one person, they're single, they have their back to a hundred, like, uh, in her case, men. Yeah. And then she would say something like, um, I don't like blue-eyed guys, and all the blue-eyed guys from that hundred would like walk past her and be like, now you don't get to date me. Yeah. And uh, that's about all I remember. And then I think if they thought like a particular person was super hot, they could like give them some kind of save and they would go back in the group uh-huh. and you would just keep eliminating everyone until there was one person left. Till someone then, was singled out. Yeah. And yeah. then you were conceivably went on a date with this person. Okay. So, so yes, it was like the dating game. Yeah. Yeah. Except they made a little bit different. Yeah. And Jenny McCarthy was there. Oh, yeah, because she was the host, right? It was her and Chris Hardwick. Yep. Chris. Jesus. Yeah, he's super young looking back now. I would. Yeah, because he's young looking now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's probably better looking now because he he had some real addiction problems back then. Oh, so he's usually looking like he just woke up from a bender on that show. (laughs) Instead of now where it's like he probably slept in a little bit. Right. Yes. Uh, speaking of TV appearances, Vader is going to be on an upcoming episode of Boy Meets World over on ABC. That'll help out with his uh, heel character. <laughs> uh, over in Japan, Scott Norton and Shinya Hashimoto won the New Japan uh, Tag Tournament that we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were asking if it was the World Tag League, which is what they call it now. Yeah. Uh, so it is the same tournament, but back then it was called the Super Grade Tag Tournament. Hmm. Uh, Doesn't bef- really roll off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> well, before that, it was called the G1 Tag League. Uh, apparently, it was 2012 when Bushido Road took over New Japan as the new owners. Yeah. They were the ones who branded it the World Tag League, and it has been uh, that ever since. <laughs> So uh, Hashimoto and Norton defeated KG Muto and Rick Steiner in the finals. 
after the match, Hashimoto, who is the New Japan, uh, he's the IWGP champion. Yeah. Uh, he said that he no longer wanted to tag with Norton and instead wanted to face him in a singles match. Hashimoto is scheduled to defend his title against Ricky Choshu at the uh, Tokyo Dome on the big January 4th show. Yep. So conceivably, uh, if he retains his first defense post Tokyo Dome will be against Scott Norton. <laughs> I do like winning a tournament. It's like all the success with you just proves <laughs> I don't want to tag with you ever again. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's like since they win so many matches, they have to hang out with each other more. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, oh, Scott. This Norton. guy. Who this boy. <laughs> Too Cold Scorpio is leading. Too Cold Scorpio is leaving ECW for the WWF and was on the receiving end of You Sold Out chance at this weekend's ECW events. Sweet. Nitro is now doing a main event, quote unquote, main event dark matches after the show to send the fans home happy. Yeah. Uh, a tradition that WWF carries on to this day mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, if, if especially if you're ending with like a, a heat segment where a, a heel gives like a big long promo about how great they are. Yeah. It's probably good to like uh, just send and they hadn't quite keyed in on like we're going to send out our big names. Like, sometimes it would just be the luchadors would go and have, like, a really good tag match. Yeah. And that would probably be awesome for the fans that actually give a shit about the wrestling. Mm -hmm. But you've also got a bunch of people who are just like, who are these fuckers? And they just leave. Yeah. Uh, So they're still playing with it. I believe that uh, they first did it a couple weeks ago, and it was the luchadors. And then they did it, I think, for this Nitro. And it was the Giant and Luger, I want to say. Yeah, I remember that because it just it the results looked weird because it was like Lex Luger beats Booker T, then Lex Luger beats the Giant. Yeah, so they're trying to find ways to make the crowd not so pissed <laughs> after they come and see a Nitro. Yeah, especially it's like are we we're not gonna just leave with like Hogan shaking his ass at us, right? Because that sucks. <laughs> Speaking of Hogan, he appeared on Entertainment Tonight and Regis and Cassie and Regis and Kathy Lee this week uh, to promote Santa with Muscles. So he's he's uh, all over the place. <laughs> good, 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 good for him. Good for him. Mark Henry injured his leg training, so he is off the Survivor Series. Uh, Meltzer oh, said it was a broken yeah. leg. I don't, not a hundred percent sure if that's true. I went to Wikipedia and it just said he suffered an injury in training. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if it's as bad as a broken leg or not. But he's gonna have some time on the shelf, and already you've got to be concerned about the massive investment they put into him with like a. 20-year contract worth all that money and stuff yeah uh may not may not be the best investment that they've ever done i wanted to close here with the letters from readers and that is not something that i would normally read but there's uh there's two letters this week in the observer and i want to read them for different reasons the first uh is one about bret hart choosing to sign with wwf instead of wcw and I read this one because I'm like 25% sure that Eric Bischoff wrote it. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm with you. All right. And the reason I'll skip, I'll skip to the very end and give the reason why I think that mm-hmm. uh, it says where he normally puts the name of the letter writer. It says name withheld by request. Oh, okay. So like they had their name on there. They just told Dave they didn't want it appearing in the observer for some reason. Mm-hmm. That's just weird to me. So let me read you this letter. Okay. For someone with ambition of movie stardom, Bret Hart has taken one giant step backwards. No matter how superior his wrestling skill is, 
any WCW wrestler now has more market clout via the connection of Turner and Time Warner. The recent losses in WWF local syndication drastically shrinks Hart's promotional value. In this era, when veteran actors take pay cuts to get roles in movies made by major studios, Hart has passed on a perfect sweetheart deal. He could have both cashed the giant paycheck and worked with the most influential company, which would have advanced his acting career as well in order to raise WCW's crossover audience and boost their return on their big wrestling investment. Lindsay Wagner still gets told congratulations today because 20 years ago she made Universal TV pay big bucks for her as the bionic woman. Regardless of the reasons he chose WWF, Hart can't be so greedy uh, for respect from the movie industry that he missed his top spot to help Vince McMahon score a clean pin on Ted Turner. Hmm. Does that not sound like what Eric Bischoff would say? Or or at least someone from from like the company. Yeah. Because that's that for one thing, that's a very well like structured letter. Right. I, I don't know how they usually sound. Yeah. But that sounds like someone that's like used to writing like press. Yes, sure. Um and, and also just someone that it sounds like someone that is more heavily associated with like the financial aspect or like the economic aspect right. of working for not necessarily just WCW, but the company that owns WCW. Right. Um again, I have no I have no idea how they usually sound in Dave Meltzer's thing, but I mean that sounds like someone that is like clearly trying to send some sort of statement. Sure. Now, I read this other one uh, just because I think this guy makes good points, and I think it's interesting to hear the perspective of someone uh, who is in the moment of November 1996. Yeah. uh, Who's talking about a lot of the things that we're seeing on a weekly basis. So this is how we're going to close Observe This for this week. Uh, It's kind of, it's a little bit long, but I, I, bear with me. Mm -hmm. After reading the... After reading the October 7th issue regarding the battle between WWF and WCW, it seems more clear than ever that Vince McMahon is playing to WCW's strengths by limiting this to a war for cable ratings uh, in a chicken fight. What's amazing is that WCW got him to do it. His reaction to the success of WCW television since the debut of Nitro has been the total opposite of the ones that he used in past cases where WCW beat the WWF on cable each and every week. During the summer of 1989, the TBS main event show was consistently drawing ratings more than a full point better than the WWF's main cable show, Primetime Wrestling. McMahon didn't care about the WWF getting beaten on cable at the time because he knew he was blowing the NWA out of the water at arenas, at the merchandise stand, and on pay-per-view buy rates. Also, he knew that nobody cared a lick that the NWA was winning on cable. None of that changed until Raw came around. The motivation for creating Raw wasn't so much to beat WCW in cable ratings, but for WWF to keep its clearances on the USA Network since ratings had been sagging. Then Nitro came around, and WCW challenged McMahon's own concept. WCW succeeded because when the two companies finally met head-to-head, the attention of wrestling fans was totally absorbed into the battle on Monday nights. Now, it's not significant who was doing better... Now, it's not significant who was doing better at the arenas or on pay-per-view. The only thing that matters are the previous week's Monday Night Ratings. Everyone has gotten caught up in this, even Vince McMahon. For a man who had previously been mainly focused on the well-being of his company, even to a fault in some people's eyes, his reaction has been uncharacteristic. 
McMahon had two options to take in response to the emergence of Nitro, especially now that Raw is being beaten handily every week. He could conclude that the situation is no different than the past when the opposition's superior ratings on cable had no substantial impact on what is most important, money. That is, he could build towards what was making the most money in the long run, not hotshotting to beat Nitro on a certain week. He has chosen recently to go on the defensive and panic. He's blatantly trying to copy WCW success with the debut of the new Razor with the debut of the new Razor and Diesel and the eventual formation of his own Outsiders group. I can't imagine how cheap this must look to a casual fan, and that's what McMahon must take into consideration more than anything, because right now it looks at the casual fan that the WWF is admitting defeat. Why is this happening? Because WCW succeeded in striking McMahon where he's most vulnerable, by making the fight personal. His ego has been certainly bruised by the raids, the ratings, and by WCW's constant insistence that it is winning the war. Now it looks like McMahon believes that too, so he's doing what he can for his own ego's sake, not building based on what will make money. If there ever was a doubt that ego rules the American pro wrestling industry, not talent, creativity, or profits, this era of the business is blowing that thought process to pieces. Jeff Lowe, Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, so what do you think of that? Yeah. Um, for one thing, that sounds a lot more like a fan. Yeah. Rather than the other one you read. But um, no, I I think that's, I mean, it's very... Um, Incisive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very interesting um, that it, it's sort of, I, I don't know if they're saying this directly, but it's like the idea that, I mean, like previously they had been beaten in, in a rating war, but this time around the opposition is rubbing it in. Yeah. Th- yes. They're rubbing it in. And the fact that they're doing it head to head. Yeah. And they're sort of more copying his format a little bit more like, yeah. And, and I think they made a good point that like the way that they keep insisting that they're winning mm-hmm. um, based on cable ratings more than anything else has like somehow convinced McMahon that that they are winning and that cable ratings are the most important thing. Yeah. And uh, I think that's pretty accurate. And I, I think the gun angle, uh, this was written before that guy had seen that angle. Like, I'm sure he watched that and was like, well, shit, look how right I am. Yeah. <laughs> now they're they're drawn down to this, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I just thought, I thought based on the time and place, that was just a really well-written breakdown of how this war sort of turned on its head into being not about which company was making the most money or having the most success, but just who was winning more Monday night week after week. Yeah. And that's why WCW could sustain success for a while, and even when they started losing, why they could just bleed money because it was a company that just it it had so much financial resources unlimited almost in a lot of ways for mm-hmm. to run a professional wrestling company they had more money than they could ever need and they could just sustain losses and as long as they were doing well on monday night in the ratings they were just like well that's it we we were doing great well you're losing millions of dollars yeah but but look at those cable ratings we're beating vince <laughs> right yeah i mean it- I mean, if that was like the approach that W that Eric Bischoff wanted, then it worked out really well where yeah. he just made sure it's like, well, there's the one thing it's a big thing. I mean, but it's not the only thing, but that 
the the one thing that we are beating him on is ratings. As long as we let make Vince think we're winning overall because this is now the most important thing. Right. Then, I mean, I, I'm sure that they feel like if that WWF re- reacting negatively and having to kind of like base their decisions on on like reactionary besides just like what's good for them for the bottom line. Yeah. They could see themselves as like, I mean, I have no idea if, if Eric Bischoff from the beginning had this like wanted to run WWF to the ground or just simply beat Certainly them at their own game. Certainly seemed like he did. Yeah. I mean, if that's what his intention is, I mean, after the first year, he's got to be thinking like, it. I'm like 10 out of 10 A plus going like how I've done so far. You yeah. Know? Um, because like I'm sh- I'm sure if you go back to the back in 89 when they were like being beaten, there's nothing in the programming that suggests that there's an issue. Right. The programming here, like over the last year, you could see like the hints. Yes. You can see the references and like the and especially fake razor and fake diesel. Fake razor, fake diesel, the billionaire Ted stuff. Yeah. Which really smacked of. insecurity and desperation and yeah and and in like the earlier starting having like more like like these angles at the beginning of the show to encourage you to stay with the show rather than kind of having like uh, more of a well thought out like kind of scheduled like one hour trying to get like a hook in there and trying to and keep them for that for that extra time um yeah there's just there's like the way that the shows are laid out now are changing. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, like back in 89, you just, you, you go back there. You won't see anything that shows that right here. You can see like the, the programming changing and definitely not for the better yeah. at this point. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to run through the syndication results for the shows that aired this weekend. All right. Uh, uh, starting with Saturday morning on main event. This would be November 9th, 1996. Uh, Steven Regal defeated the Cheetah Kid. That is uh, the real Prince Iakea. We've talked. He's, yep. he's still doing a few jobs. Mm-hmm. And Chris Jericho defeated Bobby Eaton. On Saturday night, November 9th, uh, Psychosis and Juventud Guerrera defeated the American Males. I didn't watch this, but I assume maybe there's a little bit of dysfunction in the american males that caused that to happen maybe moving that storyline forward a little bit more uh the teal the television champion lord steven regal defeated jim duggan via disqualification diamond dallas page again defeated ice train the amazing french canadians defeated harlem heat via countout i'm just guessing that colonel robert parker fucked that up somehow yeah chris benoit defeated hugh morris Dean Malenko defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. And Lex Luger defeated Max, who is still around. The former oh, Max Muscle. Yeah. Uh, then on Sunday on WCW Pro, Jim Powers defeated something called Casey Thompson. Bobby Walker. Uh, so the page I look at just says versus. I'm assuming who wins each match just based on who would win that match on a syndicated show. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the bigger name. But for this one, I genuinely I'm curious what your opinion is. I could not figure out which one I thought won this match. Hard work Bobby Walker versus Mr. JL. I don't know. <laughs> like either one of those guys jobbing to the other would be perfectly plausible to me. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Uh Diamond Dallas Page defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. 
Dean Malenko defeated Chris Jericho. Then Sunday night, rounding out the syndicated we, uh, programming for the week, Alex Wright defeated... Um, hard work, Bobby Walker, pin jail. Oh, nice. Okay. Alex Wright defeated Pat Tanaka. Chris Jericho uh, defeated Mark Starr. And Conan defeated Chavo Guerrero. So that brings us all the way up to next Monday, November 11th, 1996. We're all ready for our next episode where we will get into that Nitro. But before we sign off, uh, there is something that we like to do here on Worldwide each week. And that is to say something in 2019 in the present day that is exciting us about wrestling. Uh, we only have done this once, so I can see that you forgot. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, uh, I'm going to go first. All right. It'll give you some time to think of something. Uh, I'm going to go with the fact that we have a uh, women's main event of a WrestleMania show. Uh, as we talked about sort of while we were recording this, actually, uh, Charlotte Flair beat Asuka for the title, mm-hmm. uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship, so that now the way that match is now structured the Raw Women's Champion Ronda Rousey, the SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair, and the Royal Rumble winner Becky Lynch are in a three-way triple threat match that will main event WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and uh, we will find out who, I guess, is the most... Do- we don't know exactly how the it's going to work with the championships. Are they unifying the titles? Is there an end-of-the-brand split? Uh, is it going to be whoever gets pinned loses their title? Mm-hmm. That's uh, We're going to have to find that out, but just the fact that match is happening... Uh, I I think um, in terms of their WWE careers that uh, they have all earned that to various extents. Ronda in um, bringing a lot of media attention to the company. I don't think that this match would be the main event if it didn't involve Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. Some people aren't going to like that, and and I understand why. Um, you know that she doesn't have like the tenure that these other women have, and there's other women that have been around longer. But the fact is that it doesn't become such a big deal if there's not like a mainstream celebrity involved in it. Yeah. Um. So so she's bringing that, and to her credit as well, she's been a I I think a very quick study, uh, at wrestling, and um, some of her matches have been really good, some of them haven't been. But she's for the amount of time that she's been doing it, I think she's acquitted herself very well. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think a triple threat will really help her because she'll be able to have periods of that match where she's just out of the ring selling. Um, sort of the WWE style of main uh, triple threat where, you know, mm-hmm. you throw one person out, two of you wrestle for a while, that person gets back in, you throw someone else out. Um, Charlotte has, you know, been just a, a great performer for them. And, of course, uh, Becky Lynch is, like, the hottest thing going in wrestling right now. Yeah. Um, so I just think all of them have earned it in really different ways, and I'm really excited to watch that play out. I just, um, like I think everyone... I'm really hoping that they don't fumble the ball at the one-yard line and have Charlotte or Ronda win just because everyone's expecting Becky to win. Yeah. You know, um, they've done that a number of times. And even by the end where I, a guy that never liked Roman Reigns very much, by the time that he was, like, still losing to Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. it was just like, for the fuck's sake, just have the guy win, please. Yeah. <laughs> like. Just complete your damn story, you know. Right. Yep. So uh, hopefully they don't they don't screw that up and do something to get heat. Uh, Becky needs to win. It doesn't matter if that's what we're all expecting to see. It doesn't matter if they do the exact same thing uh, with Kofi as kind of the underdog who gets like 
It doesn't. I don't care if you tell the same story twice in in kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Just give me. It's WrestleMania. Give me what I want. Yeah. <laughs> Just, God damn this company. For once, could they give me what I want? Yeah, and and Kofi is the sort of thing where it's like, I'm not. I'm not like really a hundred percent on the Kofi uh, train here, but sure. um, I feel like it'll be something that looking back, I'll be like, yeah, it was pretty cool that he won the championship at WrestleMania. Yeah. So. Because uh, I I've just been like really I really, for, well for one thing I just really haven't been watching a lot of WWE, but I've really been into the Daniel Bryan story and I feel like yes. it's a little bit too early. But again, I think long term it'll be it would be a good thing to see. But um, another another thing to mention about that that women's match um, because I have one of the first things when I got back onto Twitter I made some uh, comment about like. You know, I think if I was like a teenager in the eighties, you know, um like hitting puberty and everything like that, that I would yeah. have been pretty uh, fi- fixated on Joan Jett. Oh, sure. And Joan Jett's going to be at WrestleMania. Yeah. And I think that's gonna be awesome. Yes. Uh I, I yeah, just the the extra like that's the thing that I like about WrestleMania, just that extra thing. And and for someone like Joan Jett Instead of like fucking Flow Rider or Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly, yeah, have like someone that's yeah. legitimately cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and and it's like it's like Bad Reputation is a fucking awesome song. It's a great song. So that's gonna be. I mean, even if the match ends up not being that great, I'm like that entrance is gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's so much better when they use licensed music. Because I was about to say the the one that comes to mind that was also awesome was a uh, cult of personality being performed live yeah. when they did that one. Like mm-hmm. that's a great fucking song. Cause it's a real song. Yeah. It's not a 30 and I'm not saying that CFOs or Jim Johnson hasn't done. They've done plenty of great themes. Yes. It's just when you've got a real rock band that has toured the world mm-hmm. fucking rocking out. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's better when they come on there and perform a hit song that you've heard on the goddamn radio. Yeah. Uh, so I agree. That is absolutely something to look forward to. Um, and for me, it's, uh, and I, I mentioned this uh, a little bit about this on, on our Nitro that you'll have hopefully just listened to. Um, uh, one thing about myself when it comes to pro wrestling is I'm super into championships. Yes. Um, and belt design and, and lineage and all that stuff. So the thing that I was excited about this week is um, on the most recent, um, it's slipping my mind now. What What is the, the Young Bucks online show? Being the Elite. Being the Elite, yes. So this week on Being the Elite, they had a part where um, – Brandy Rhodes was talking to Dave Milliken on the phone. Oh, sure, yeah. And they're talking about the AEW title, which um, if you if you go, you can see that she's looking at a layout, and you can kind of see the layout. Like they're they're teasing it really hard, sure. Like the see through paper, yeah. And they're talking about how um, how Cody and and um, Khan wanted to be this huge gaudy championship, and they yeah. compare it to the Mid South North American title. Which is something that's like it's about the size of your torso. Sure. Um, and just the idea that we're like that that's a one step closer to AEW. Cause like for me, it's like it'll be great once I have shows finally, 
but I want them to have championships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that we're getting a little bit closer, we're just getting that little bit of hint of their what their championship's going to be, and it's going to be like a larger-than-life title, which I think the heavyweight belt should always be a larger-than-life title. Sure. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm like, the big gold belt is like the number one championship to me because yeah. it should be a larger-than-life prize to win. And so that, that, for me, this week is what I was the most excited about. But, I, I mean... The fact that we're going to have the first ever like women's main event of WrestleMania would be awesome, even if it's gonna take us about eighteen hours to get to it, <laughs> and everyone's gonna be fucking super yeah. tired. I just I'm gonna start the show late. I'm just gonna probably like put the kids to bed and just start watching the show at like eight thirty and yeah, just not care yeah. where they're at. John and I were were talking about that, and I'm like, there's so many of these matches. I mean, there most of these matches I don't care who wins. Yeah, like if they decide like. Brock's just gonna beat Seth Rollins. I'm like, whatever. That's just what WWE does. That's I. That's what I expect, honestly. Especially now that Roman's back. Yeah. Like, doesn't it? It almost makes more sense to let Brock hang on to it so that Roman can beat him. Yeah. It, I just I I've gotten to the point where I just I I can't really care too hard about yeah. like what WWE ends up doing with the results of their matches. Yeah. Sure. Um. So there's so many. I'm like I I'm interested in that women's match. And so there's a good chance I'm going to wait until like 930. Yeah. And then turn it on. And then like if there's good results happen earlier, just watch the replay. Yeah. There's there's I've got the network. I can see the good matches when someone tells me which ones they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard. 17 matches. Yeah. That's crazy. Ridiculous. That is nuts. I, I, I think and that's that's after the you know, the night after takeover. Right. Or two nights because takeover is the mania takeover on Friday because then they do the Hall of Fame on Saturday. Whatever. It's within a whatever. At most, it's two days after a takeover. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's too much. I would, too much. I, was, I, I say it's borderline uncalled for. <laughs> and and there's yeah. going to be there are going to be like some guys that are really like, um you know, because they're they were saying the other day about like, hey, look, once again, one of the best tag teams in WWE, the Usos are not given diddly shit yeah for a match they're gonna have a match thrown together yeah and no one's gonna care about it and no one's gonna remember it and that's unfortunate because you know i i get the idea of like having everyone participate in wrestlemania but it's really it it's at the detriment of some of the guys that have worked really really hard to earn a spot at wrestlemania yeah that they're gonna just kind of be lost in the fold so all right. Well, before we sign off, I just have one last thing, and it's just something that triggered in my mind when you were talking about AEW. Uh, so I want to preface this by saying, if you don't like AEW, that's fine. I don't like a lot of things, and I think right now there's not even enough of it for me to know that I do like it or not. I'm certainly like one of the people who's excited and want to yeah. give it a chance. Like I, I'm, I like it because I I'm optimistic about a new thing. Sure. I'm not there's like uh, another thing I was talking with my brother about is the fact is that we have no proof that like Cody Rhodes or the young bucks are going to be good at booking. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yes. So absolutely. I, I guess I'm just trying to say like upfront, neither you or I are like elite diehard fans or something. We're not like yeah. stands. who are going to be here. So when I say this, I just want that context to be important. We're not, we're not um, fan boys of this particular promotion. These right. guys, I just want people to stop with this fucking joke that I see on Twitter all the time where they say until they've got a TV deal or whatever, AEW is just a t-shirt company. Yeah. And 
the first time I read it, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it's a decent line. Mm -hmm. The 50th time I'm seeing some other guy write it as if he thinks that I'm going to believe that he's the guy who made up the joke. Right. It's not like, because I, I don't get the, maybe I'm wrong, maybe an old man yelling at a cloud right now. But <laughs> right. It's, I don't get the impression that people are doing it as a meme. It seems like people are doing it because they're like, a bunch of people aren't going to have heard this joke before and they're going to think that I made this joke mm -hmm. and that I'm the one who came up with this sick burn. Yeah. It's like, if you want to insult it, insult it. Just come up with your own burn. Yeah. I just want to hear new burns. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I don't want to say you can't insult AEW or that it is more than a t-shirt company. Because again, like I said, that that is a funny line. I laughed the first time. Yeah. Just please uh, come up with other ways of insulting it on Twitter. <laughs> That's yeah. all I'm really asking for. Why well, I, I think the one, especially when it comes to Twitter, but just like people with their online presence. Yeah. The number one thing people love to do is to pass judgment on something. Sure. As soon as possible. Yeah. It 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 combines people's favorite online things: passing judgment on something uh, before you really know anything about it, mm -hmm. and uh, stealing other people's content and presenting it as your own. Right. Those are those are the internet's favorite things yeah. to do. Um. So I I feel like I do mention. AEW a lot and it is like I said I want to be optimistic about some about this new thing sure I think I do think there's no point of being like like a homer for it or totally against it because it has literally not had a show yet right and it's not but it's not like it doesn't plan on not having a show it's just not happening until May right you know um, so I think yeah it just I don't know <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It, I, it does. It does. It definitely seems like that. That line is a, a line's already being drawn. Yeah. By people. All right. So with that uh, little rant, yeah, wrapped up. Uh, that is going to call it on this week's worldwide edition. We will see you here uh, hopefully next week. That's the plan anyway, mm -hmm. where we will talk to you about the November eleventh, nineteen ninety six episode of WCW Monday Nitro. Uh, because that's what we do right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. <laughs>